Welcome to the Media Navigators, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker and I'm the Chief Executive. And in this series, we talk to key influencers in advertising from um, around the world. And today I'm talking to uh, Keely Taylor, who's the Head of Partnerships for um, Group M and also a guest lecturer at NYU. So good morning, Keely. Good morning. Um, now, I first came across Keeley at the Cannes Advertising Festival in June earlier this year. I was listening to a panel which Keely was on, which was talking about funding news and biting disinformation. And it was fascinating. And Group M had a very specific approach to this. Unfortunately, I had to leave before the Q&A and I ended up with so many questions that I wanted to ask Keely. So that is, that's why we're here today. So hopefully I'll answer some of those questions. But before we get into the meat of it, I really wanted to ask you, Keely, what exactly does being a global head of partnerships at Group M, what does it mean? We, some of our audience are perhaps younger or working within brands so that they might not be that familiar with Group M as a, as a business. Sure. So just off the top, Group places about one out of every three media dollars globally. So we find appropriate context for advertising to appear. We look at audiences, we look at price point. Um, so that brands can really deliver the outcomes that they want, whether it be salience, sales, et cetera. And so what my role is specific within us being a media agency is looking after those most scaled partners or those that have the most points of differentiation so that we can really help for our brands to stand out, whether it be through data and technology access, valuable pricing, or more and more through a lens of what are value aligned places for advertisers to appear. And it's a global role. How do you work with the different parts of Group M around the world? So you can imagine I don't get more than 24 hours in my day. So <laughs> it's much more about approaches for each different investment leader in their respective market to take and inform a tiering of what is the most valuable types of things, what are the types of questions so we can have consistent codification around partner assessment, even though they might be very distinct in a local market, looking at journalistic enterprise, serving local communities is one of those places. It's more a matter of having a consistent frame of reference than that <laughs> I'm dialing the phone at all hours of the day and night. You have your five pillars investing in the future, of which one of one of which is responsible journalism, which um, is really the one I want to, to dig into. The the other four are, are potentially, I hate to say, obvious makes it sound that sounds cynical in some way. And I don't mean that in a cynical way, but they are you. Hope things like sustainability and, and DEI are, are things that are top of everyone's brain. But perhaps you could just give us a, a, a flavour of what those five key pillars are in your framework. And then we can get to that that in journalism point. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we agree that they're imperatives. That said, 
when it comes down to the world that we're living in with kind of zero-based budgeting or quarterly earnings that are driving a lot of maybe more short-term decisions, this helps us to keep a lens more short and long-term around the types of strategic relationships that we wish to, to broker. So responsible journalism, as you mentioned, brand safety and suitability, diversity, equity, and inclusion, environmental sustainability, and data and AI ethics are the five different pillars. And you can imagine that there's all kinds of intersectionality amongst publishers or platforms um, across many of these different themes, if not all, but it really is more a matter of helping for brands who have really specific ERG or CSR types of value alignment to find best fit partners. We also tend to find that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is fundamental to responsible journalistic enterprise. Those journalists, those reporters understand their audiences, the communities they serve better than anyone. And as we get away from a cookie-based world sometime later next year, the value of those audiences and the authentic relationships that those journalists have built over years, I think will really come to the fore and we'll be able to see not only the integrity in the environments, but also that they naturally are supporting whatever look or um, affiliation that a community might have as its majority resident, a little bit different than the more opaque cookie worlds that we're still one foot in, one foot out of right now. Interesting. I'd, I'd love to dig more into that short and long-termism discussion, but I, I don't think we've really got time to on today's podcast, but may, maybe that's something, a subject for a few, future, particularly in, in the, the current kind of election and the economic environment that we're in at the moment. It is extremely topical, But could we get into why, I'm very interested why as as an agency you feel supporting responsible journalism? Yeah, so there's the very kind of hard-nosed business answer. So I'll start with that. We are, in fact, a for-profit organization. And strong competitive forces choice helps to drive innovation and a plurality of opinions. So it's beholden upon us to make sure that different types of narratives are represented uh, and in a credible way. So in this kind of precipice that we're on of post-truth being a societal value, it's critically important that we're reaching out and helping directly to invest in those that are telling authentic and true narratives. And then the you had touched briefly upon some political cycles that are going on both sides of the pond. I think they're going to be watched with a lot of interest, (laughs) if not trepidation. And so functioning democracies require for there to be the fourth estate and not to get overly lofty, but given the, the privileged position that we have to place as much media investment as we do, we really do find it to be imperative to continue to be a cornerstone in support of those that hold truth to power in democratic and functioning societies. I've, I've spoken to a number of, of leaders over time, and I guess where it falls down is that the uppermost layer, I think conceptually all understand and get this, but then when it 
it it comes to the actual where where the the dollars are going to it somehow falls out of the equation so one of the things you you specifically talked about when you were in can w- was about possibly auditing the amount of news that you uh, as an agency were funding or not funding but supporting and I'd love to know a little bit a bit more about how you can apply that and and how it could how you can make that work. Sure so it's certainly more straightforward with than digital and programmatic the kind of post reporting everything is done on basically a 24-hour cycle if not more frequently so having a sense of how the dollars or pounds when we pick a currency are stacking up, it's a little bit more straightforward. What we do tend to find, and I am a little bit more of a pragmatist in this sense, is that dollars might be going to a publication that supports a newsroom, but also supports lifestyle or sports news content or all of these more easily found to be suitable places for brands. And so is a little bit right now that we're looking with that much wider lens of a publisher when they do support a newsroom versus hard-nosed investigative journalism exclusively. So that's where we are from a print perspective and press. It's a little bit more challenging just in the sense that there's not the same automated means for us to get reporting. It's just a much more manual process and when we think about the assets that an, uh, any given advertiser might have, it tends to be by default that they will have some amount of digital added assets created, banners, videos, but whether or not they have gone the extra mile and paid below the line. So the types of things that brand marketers tend to get KPI on, how much of your media, or excuse me, how much of your overall budget works for you, meaning distribution and how much of it is below the line and non-working, which isn't a fair representation, but it is the way the terminology of the business, whether or not they're creating those physical assets can be challenging. We also are seeing from an environmental sustainability perspective, you could imagine that if you can pull off of a green energy source and you can have cloud-based ad serving, that it's a relatively less energy intensive process to invest in local news and have adjacencies with news content. Whereas with the creation of a physical medium, newsprint or press, we're working really closely to make sure that we're not using a broad brush to say that something is not appropriate from one of the contexts of the five pillars. I'm getting a little bit meandering in my answer, but the one point that I'll close on for this bit is that the other thing that we have to be really cognizant of going back to the kind of the functioning of democracy is how is it that a population can have access to credible news information when there are paywalls, when they have to have access to broadband digital internet. When we did a lot of work around public health, when COVID-19 was first recognized as a pandemic, we saw that going to radio broadcasters was a huge and powerful medium to mass distribute public safety messages as were local press publications. 
So making sure that information, credible information is not tiered within society is super important. And so just the, to talk, to, to impress the point about the intersectionality of those different pillars of responsible investing. Have you found, uh, have different parts of the world reacted um, to this more positively than others? I'm, I'm sure, I guess there are certain markets where this is going to be incredibly difficult to do. So I think one of the short answer is yes. Yeah. Notice I have okay. not had a lot of short answers. I will mention we've done a partnership with Internews, mm. who is using a consistent rubric to set a floor. So ensuring that the organization is not under any sanctions, ensuring that there are bylines for the actual people who are doing the reporting of the stories, that they have retraction policies if something is found to be incorrectly stated. And so what we have found is that in some different marketplaces, there is a higher kind of moray or standard to journalistic enterprise, but we have found comfort that the floor is credible and consistent and allows us to have a breadth of local news sources for consideration in the markets that we've been able to um, partner with Internews to review. How how wide is Internews now? Do they have a cover all the major markets around the world? Yes. So we've been partnering. We tend to go on a billings basis with them in terms of where we're looking to expand from a market perspective. So you could imagine former EU5 being the, the first place that we started within the EU, but they have since expanded. They've got coverage into MENA. They've got coverage into Latin America, within North America, et cetera. So they've got a really scalable approach to the market. And we've also really appreciated that they have gone to great lengths to find researchers that are local to the country that we are having reviewed because some things Google Translate is not the end all be all for understanding cultural nuance. And so we do appreciate the consideration that they've taken to be authentic and credible as they approach each new market. So going back to the kind of the the commercial part of this sort of conversation, what do you think it is that makes brands and agencies resistant to allocating budget to journalism brands? So I think there's, I'm sure there's more than two, but I'll start with two answers. One is that a lot of the distribution today is coming off of digital distribution, where there are not the ofcoms of the world who have set regulatory requirements and there's not finite broadcasting airwaves as it were. So the actual amount of rogue action is vastly greater within digital, which has meant that there's a bit of a recoil or a want to return to some element of safety. I think also the way with which digital is automated means that there's just so much more 
visibility when there is a poor adjacency. And one of the things that I've personally struggled with is, well, there is a halo when we are in these reputable news environments. And it tends to be a more educated reader. It tends to be higher household income. It's a lot of the hallmarks of a really valuable audience to convene for an advertiser. The screenshot risk to the reputation that advertiser might see. So it gets reported in the news as this bad adjacency tends to escalate much more highly in their organization than any kind of goodwill. They happen to have an ad in a local publication. So it just, it's disproportionately towards the negative from a risk perspective in most thinking. That's not to say that it can't be reframed. Again, I think there's so much opportunity if it was wrapped within DEI and I as the narrative about why news, or <laughs> if it was just common sense, it's a large scale audience. It's a good price point, And they're your shopper, they're your buyer. So we're trying to find that right angle in that isn't news is the right thing to support because democracy and you should, but making it either about business growth in the context of this is an audience that chops at your local retailer. You've got trade relationships there. You're on discount that week. It's all the sense of the world to really have a ton of impressions delivered in that specific area. Or this is a, an easy way in that is authentic to a community that you want to have a richer and deeper connection with. So it's finding out that right angle while we continue to refine from the really broad stroke blocking technologies and get to a much more nuanced place just as an industry as a whole. Is there a role that we, we by that the publishers should be playing in that reframing? Is, is there something, obviously it's, it's an area we, we try and talk to, but is something, something else we should be doing? So I was recently at a, a, another panel discussion on the same topic. And one of the two things that I implored for publishers to, to think carefully about. One thing was for those that have programmatically accessed inventory to really look hard about all of the different resellers or demand sources that you might have convened over the years. I understand that it's a very challenged business environment and decision to take. But the less middle actors you have, the more favorably you will look in some of the environmental sustainability reporting. And I want to make sure that there's an awareness so that you can cut out kind of immaterial actors and you can have a lesser carbon footprint because in programmatic, there are some kind of hard decisions that are being taken based upon rudimentary data and not looking at the broader context of the reputation of the journalistic enterprise. The other bit is to really make sure that you use this time now as applicable to local laws, so GDPR and the like, for getting consented first-party data. You will become a beacon of authentic and consented identity, which is going to be more and more valuable to advertisers as cookies go away. So now would be a good time to get your house in order. And once we have a data match, 
then game on. <laughs> and we know exactly what to do when we have matching data and we can have really um, personalized creative delivered within that kind of context. So it's a help, help us meet halfway with the business transformation, understanding that there are huge resource constraints on the newsrooms themselves, let alone where you're going to find a data scientist in the local community that you serve. So hoping to find through consortiums, coalitions, fractional support, ways with which we can get to a place that we can more easily integrate and operate in this cookie-less world as we go forward. I think certainly the brands who make up the World Media Group are on that journey. In They're in different places on that journey, but that is definitely the direction that they're moving in. Finally, on a personal note, what news brands do you consume? So I tend to consume more kind of middle political news brands. So the, and if you hear my accent, I'm American. It tends to be things like Bloomberg Reuters for more kind of mm-hmm. help me understand how my client's business is operating, help me understand politics without such a sharp lean. And then I really enjoy the longer form like wired fast company. When I'm not chasing a two-year-old child, I like to really understand the the direction and the future of technology because it pairs so closely with what I do for a living. Wonderful. That's been fascinating. Thank you so much, Keely. And I really do hope we get to have that conversation about long and short termism because I think that would be fascinating. So much for your time. (laughs) Now the next World Media group podcast is going to be focusing on advertising and marketing in the Middle East, which is an incredibly vibrant and just fascinating marketplace. So I'm really looking forward to learning more about that myself personally, and I hope you'll join me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Keely. Thank you.